listening to another Vital Moment in Naturopathic Medicine. I'm your host, Beth Hendry Yim. My guest today is Dr. John Yim, naturopathic physician and my husband of 36 years. Today, we're having a conversation about hormones. It's a big topic, bigger than one would normally think. When I hear the word hormones, I think reproductive, progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, but those are only some of the hormones needed to run our bodies. John, what are some of the other major ones? Well, Beth, you're right. You know, reproductive hormones is just one group. You know, I think about the adrenal glands. The adrenal glands produce adrenaline, cortisol, aldosterone. The thyroid produces thyroid hormones. The pancreas produces insulin and glucagon to regulate our blood sugar balance. The pituitary produces a whole bunch of signaling hormones. So on and on they go. Yeah, the reproductive hormones is just one small group of them. And what are their purpose? Like, why are they so important? Well, hormones are are biochemicals and they're signaling molecules. What it means is that they signal cells to do specific things, right? When your adrenal glands produce uh, adrenaline cortisone, or cortisol rather, those hormones are to increase energy to deal with uh, stimulus in the environment whether it's uh, you're fighting or fleeing against something or you need energy to function, your adrenal glands produce hormones to give you energy to do that. So the thyroid produces hormones that regulate your metabolism, you know, your, your weight, your body temperature, um, even things like cholesterol levels, skin health, gut health. Many of these different um, areas are influenced by thyroid hormones. So most of the cells of your body have hormone receptors. So some of these major hormones can influence many, many different cells and many different systems of the body. So when they go awry, meaning if you're underproducing or overproducing or just the balance of hormones out of whack, they can have major consequences in the body. Well, let's just talk about adrenals for a minute, especially right now, because we're going through, you know, the pandemic. Uh, when they get out of balance, I mean, we're stressed all the time right now. We're overproducing, or are we overproducing cortisol? Yeah. So initially, when you're under acute stress, there's a, a, a an increased production. And right now, that is a bad thing for our health. So when, when your adrenal glands are out of whack, it can affect changes in mood. It can affect changes in energy, meaning uh, initially, you know, we're producing more energy because of the stress hormones. But in time, if the adrenal glands get tired, then we get tired. We, we experience fatigue. But in this day and age with COVID, one of the main reasons we don't want our adrenals to go out of whack is that it has a huge impact on immunity. When you are under chronic stress, it has a weakening effect on the immune system and if it continues, then in some people, it, it may cause the immune system to go hyper. And this does not mean more efficient at going after germs. It means more tendency to allergies, more tendency to autoimmunity. So yeah, it's, it's really important right now that we keep our adrenals working better. So what, what health issues are you seeing in your practice? What kind of symptoms do people present with when they come in and it's a hormone issue? So in younger people, let's say um, a, a teenage woman comes in to see me and she's having problems with her period, very, very heavy flows, um, uh, a long length of flow, very painful cramps. I'm looking at things like 
estrogen and estrogen progesterone balance. A woman in her um, later years, say in her 50s, that's complaining of changes with moods, uh, being told by her doctor her bone density is decreasing. Now, I just want to point out here that uh, from a male perspective, the first thing you mention when a woman is is entering that time of life is mood swings. <laughs> now, if I was talking about it, I would have probably said hot flashes or sleep. But a guy says mood swings. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't that interesting? Because I think as a partner, that's one of the things you notice most about yeah. your partner is changes in moods, right? In a male, let's say I, I have a male patient that's around 55 complaining of dropping levels of energy, um, changes in mood and motivation, loss of muscle mass in spite of exercising regularly. Again, I'll be wondering about testosterone levels. So depending on what stage of life a patient is in, I may see a different symptom picture. What about thyroid issues? How do they present? Thyroid issues are are endemic. We're seeing many, many patients that have um, a sluggish thyroid and sometimes not even low enough to be found on blood tests yet. But classically, they would be things like uh, a dropping of body temperature. So these patients tend to be on the cool side, uh, cold hands and feet, um, lower levels of energy, possibly hair loss, constipation, dry skin, uh, women that have, again, heavy periods, large clots, uh, irritable bowel symptoms. So the thyroid, if it's underactive, many, many different symptoms can show up. But on the other hand, if the, if the thyroid is overactive, then we may see uh, uh, excessive energy, like having difficulty winding down in the evening because the thyroid is too overactive, feeling anxious, heart rate, is uh, the heart is racing, the body temperature is on the higher side, so these patients are feeling flushed, and it may be men and, you know, they're not having hot flashes, but they're feeling warm all the time. And that may be, uh, again, a, an overactive thyroid causing that symptom. So if you say that it doesn't necessarily show up on the test, how do you know? Going by symptoms, right? When we say that somebody is clinically hypothyroid, what that means is according to their blood work, they're out of range. Now they need help. They need medication or they need to have their thyroid treated. But before that shows up on blood tests, some patients are already having symptoms. So their thyroid may be functioning at a lower or less optimal level, but not necessarily low enough yet, according to blood work, to be diagnosed as being clinical hypothyroid. So if a patient again comes in and he or she is freezing cold all the time, sluggish bowels, hair loss, these are all classic symptoms of of a sluggish thyroid. So even if the thyroid is not testing low enough to need medication, it shows that that thyroid may need help. And that means nutrients to improve thyroid function. So what about blood sugar? I mean, there's hormones involved with that too. How, how does that present? So, you know, classically what we're seeing in um, people are, the worry nowadays is diabetes, but there's three, three stages with blood sugar, right? Hypoglycemia means low blood sugar. And these are people that may have troubles regulating their blood sugar between meals. If they're not eating on time, if they're going too far between meals, they're showing symptoms. And uh, it may be irritability, it may be fatigue, it may be headaches, it may be shaking, tremors. So low blood sugar. On the other end of the spectrum is diabetes. 
where the blood sugar is elevated in the blood, there's uh, the insulin cannot get the cells to absorb the sugar well enough, and so it's building up in the blood. But before that, there can be a stage called prediabetes. Other terms could be metabolic syndrome or insulin resistance. And what's happening there is that if people are over-consuming carbohydrates, whether it's sugars, uh, sweeteners, starches, and the cells have all the glucose they need, they may start deactivating some of the insulin receptors on the surface of the cells. And now it takes more and more insulin to get the sugar into the cells to keep the blood sugar at a normal level. So with these patients, blood sugar levels may be fine, but triglyceride levels, cholesterol levels, weight, blood pressure, these other symptoms may be starting to show up when there's insulin resistance, but the blood sugar, according to fasting blood sugar, is still within range because that person's pancreas is still able to crank out enough insulin to bring that blood sugar down. But once they get to the point where they can't make enough insulin to deal with that blood sugar, and now the blood sugar becomes elevated, now that patient is considered type 2 diabetic. So this begs the question, how do hormones get out of balance? Well, you know, in today's world, I think stress is one of the major things, right? Stress can affect blood sugar, it can affect cholesterol, it can affect um, the overproduction of adrenaline and cortisol. And then if the adrenal gets, gets exhausted, then we're underproducing cortisol, and that can show up as fatigue. Uh, stress can affect the thyroid. The number one endocrine gland that's affected by stress is the adrenals. But if the stress is chronic, then the thyroid can be affected next. Um, even the female and male reproductive uh, hormones can be affected by excess stress. The nutrients, right? Living in today's world, living in Canada, we assume that everybody gets enough food, enough nutrients. And how could there be nutrient deficiencies? Well, malabsorption, uh, eating too much packaged and processed foods, you know, our soils are becoming more depleted. So nutrients like selenium, iodine, zinc, you know, very, very important minerals for hormone production. If it's not in our food, then our bodies can't make adequate levels of hormones. And then the third category is toxicity, toxins. You know, we're living in a time where if you test the blood of pretty well every man, woman, or child on this planet, you know, we have toxins, man-made toxins in our body that should not be there. And some of these toxins resemble hormones. So they disrupt our, our hormonal balance. So for example, from plastics and certain herbicides and pesticides, they can have structures that resemble estrogen. So scientists call them xenoestrogens or foreign estrogens. So in young women that are being exposed to these foreign estrogens, they may have an increasing effect on her estrogen levels in her body because her ovaries are producing estrogen. But if she's absorbing extra estrogen from the environment, then she may be reaching puberty earlier than she should be. Um, and women that are already at puberty, their periods may be, um, the flow may be much heavier, you know, um, more symptoms of PMS, more problems with acne because of the toxicity, right? And then in young men, the worst thing is that, you know, estrogen is feminizing hormone. So young men that are being exposed to foreign estrogens, that can have an effect on fertility because it can affect sperm count, the health and shape of the, the sperm and the motility of the sperm. 
So this is a very, very scary thing, you know, how toxicity could be affecting our endocrine or hormonal balance. Wow, that is, that's very concerning, especially when you think of uh, our granddaughter, Maze. she's only five months, and you want to create the healthiest environment possible. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you talk about these xenoestrogens, can this be reversed? Like, are there things with naturopathic medicine that you do that um, you can help with that? Yes, definitely. So there are patients that come in and they're either overproducing estrogen or the balance is out of, of whack. So one of the main things that we do is work on the liver. And so it's the same with these foreign estrogens. If we can encourage the liver to break down and metabolize these, these um, foreign estrogens and get them out of the body. So, for example, foods that are in the cruciferous family have natural substances that um, encourage the liver to process these hormones, these foreign hormones in a safe manner to help get them out of the body. You know, consuming extra fiber to bind up these toxins in the bowel so they can be excreted through the stool. Uh, Doing things like saunas and sweats. We can actually sweat some of these toxins out through the skin. So yeah, even, even if we've been absorbing them, we can get them out of the body. But we have to educate people on how to avoid them in the first place. Because mm-hmm. if we can lower our that's exposure, key. that's, that's key. the key. We, yeah. Yes, we want to get rid of them when they're in the body. But if we can minimize the exposure to them, then there's less work after the fact. So when a patient comes in, they, they present with symptoms. What is your one of your first steps with them? So first step is to look at their history to see what kind of uh, testing have they done so far. Right. If, if I'm suspecting thyroid, has there been blood work done on the thyroid and is it appropriate testing? You know, if, these, if it's the adrenals, I'm suspecting, you know, has there been any blood work for that? Same with reproductive hormones. Right. If somebody, uh, a woman is, is uh, presenting with symptoms of either elevated or decreased levels of estrogen or an imbalance between progesterone and estrogen, I want to know, have there been any testing done? So one of the tests that I'm looking at these days, um, it's a new test introduced by one of the labs I use quite extensively, and it's called the Comprehensive Hormone Insight. I call it Qi for short, because in Chinese medicine, Qi, you know, implies energy, vitality. But here we're talking about hormone. So the Qi test looks at all the steroid hormones. It looks at cortisol, DHEA, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. Wait a second. What's DHEA? DHEA is a, um, an adrenal hormone that is a precursor hormone to all the steroid hormones, like your estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. So um, its long name is dihydroepiandosterone. And that's you why are, you use. just love saying those big words, don't you? <laughs> well, that's why I like to use the initials because it's so much easier. DHEA is much, much easier to roll off the tongue than its long name. So, uh, sorry, I interrupted you. So tell me all the hormones that the uh, Qi test tests for. So it tests cortisol, um, DHEA, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, all their precursors and their metabolites. And it also looks at the um, enzymes that have to do with the breakdown of these things, because that can give you an idea of where imbalances and deficiencies are coming from. So for example, if a woman is low in estrogen, what's causing that? 
with the Qi test, we can look back at the precursor hormones. And if the adrenal glands are not making enough DHEA, then there's no way she can make enough progesterone. So what the, the Qi test does, it gives us, it's like being in a helicopter, flying over the city and getting an overview of looking at a big map. But then it breaks it down in different sections. So if something's showing up with cortisol, we can zoom in on the, on the test results that have to do with the adrenal glands. Right? If estrogen level's low, we can zoom in on the test results that have to do with that. So not to, only does it give us an overview, but then it breaks it down into each different areas where there's a problem. So the information that's gleaned from this test is so invaluable. It's, it's, that's why they call it comprehensive. It really is the most comprehensive test that I've seen to do with um, what we call the steroid hormones. So you mentioned something um, that I'd like to just go a little deeper about. You said precursors and metabolites. Um, what exactly is, we never talked about precursors. What is a precursor? Why are they important to hormones? So precursors are um, what are the molecules before they become the actual hormone themselves. So for example, if you look at the pathway of the production of something like estrogen, you know, it starts with, um, ultimately where it starts, believe it or not, is cholesterol. So in a person that is um, being told to take lots of, of uh, statins to lower their cholesterol, if the cholesterol level is lowered too much, it can actually impact the production of sex hormones. So cholesterol is broken down into pregnenolone. That's a precursor. It, that gets broken down into progesterone, right? So, so it's really important that you have these precursors in order to have the hormones. That's right. So even, um, you know, we have to have testosterone or, um, or, or what we call androstenedione, which is a precursor to testosterone. All these precursors have to be there before we get enough estrogen. So yeah, so the precursors will let us know whether there's enough raw material to make the actual hormone itself. The reason the metabolites are important is that metabolites are when the hormone is broken down after they've done their job. So, you know, I, I want to get back to estrogen. So when estrogen is broken down, there are certain metabolites that are very safe and they're easily excreted and they do no harm in the body. But if the liver is not working properly or if a, if a patient has a, a genetic predisposition to break down estrogen into its more inflammatory or toxic form, then that can lead to things like fibrocystic breast, endometriosis, and even ultimately things like breast cancer. So it's really important to look at the, the metabolites of, of estrogen breakdown. And if we see that a woman is more inclined to, to produce metabolites that are disease-causing, we can actually use nutrients to support the liver in shunting the breakdown of estrogen into that more safe pathway. So that's why it's beautiful absolutely beautiful to be able to see what the precursors are doing, what the hormones are doing, and what metabolites are being produced. Wow, it sounds like a pretty thorough test. Now, would you do it um, initially and then down the road just to make sure that absolutely things yeah, are working? That's right. And any testing, you know, you want to get a baseline to find out what the, the hormones are doing initially. And then once, you know, a program has been implemented, down the road, you don't just go by symptoms, but you want to repeat the test to make sure, especially in a case where we're working on the liver, 
to help the liver break down estrogen into its safer metabolites, we want to see that that's happening because a lot of these conditions that show up from elevated estrogen happen years, maybe even decades down the road. So it's not something that we can see immediately, but if we can see that the tests are changing for the better, then we know we're, we're doing good work with our program. So it sounds like it's important to start young too. Like yeah. you can do it when you're older um, and have the symptoms, but it sounds like, you know, it would be a good preventative for younger people. Yeah, especially um, young women that are already starting to show issues with their hormones, uh, with their periods and whatnot. Yes, I mean, you can save young adults years of grief by helping them figure out what's going on with their hormone picture when they're younger, rather than waiting till they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and having decades of suffering. So yeah, definitely, if the symptoms indicate that that hormone testing is appropriate, then do it as soon as you can, rather than later. Yeah, I can share my own experience, because when I first started my period, I was 16. And I had a hell of a time, excuse my language, but it was horrible. And the pain and and then when we got married, uh, we had difficult, I had difficulties, we had difficulties conceiving, got to watch the terminology there. (laughs) You're smiling. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And uh, um, it wasn't until I started looking at the whole picture of my health. You weren't a doctor yet. And we started looking at natural ways of getting things back into the balance that I got pregnant. And of course, I re- I quit my job, my stressful job, <laughs> and I got pregnant the next month, practically. And then it was no problem getting pregnant with Zach after that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that it's, I, I can't stress more that women need to start soon if they have if they start their period and they have miserable periods um see a naturopath and you know get things fixed early yeah you know i want to touch on that beth you know all the different patients that i see in my practice you know i think if there are ways that we can figure out what's going on with the hormones early it can have such an impact on the well-being of people and mostly because like i said hormones influence almost every cell in the body. So, so many different systems can be affected when hormones are out of balance. So the earlier and the more we find out and the more thorough we are with the testing, then the more information that we have as clinicians to help patients and for patients to have the best quality of life that they can. Awesome. Okay, well, that's it for today. Uh, thank you for this this discussion, this conversation. It's only taken us how many takes? Four takes, and a, and a few and a few arguments in between. You know, we have been married for thirty six years, after all. Um, and I want to tell our listeners that this is only an introduction. Uh, John is going to be. Uh, we are going to be having a conversation and going a little bit deeper into those three areas. Uh, what were they again? We're going to talk more about the uh, reproductive hormones. And we're going to talk more about the adrenal hormones, and then we're going to focus on the thyroid hormones. So those three uh, groupings, we're going to dive way more in depth on, on those in the future. So stay tuned. Okay, sounds good. Uh, that's it for today. And don't forget, check our show notes. It will have more uh, links and as well as more information about the test John was talking about. And we'll see you next time. Oh, and don't forget to uh, subscribe to our RSS feed, and then you'll get the, um, the newest 
episodes as they come up. Thank you. Thank you.